let me review from last week in case you weren't here. Uh, we are wired, we are designed to worship God. We are created to worship God. We will either worship God or we'll worship something else besides God. In fact, in Romans 1, 23, it says, instead of worshiping the glorious everlasting God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So for this series, we're talking about worship. Uh, we know that worship is a lifestyle. There's many forms or ways to worship. We're talking about worship through song. And so we're, we're looking at like Psalms 100 verse 1 and 2. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. And so what we talked about last week was that worship through song matters to God. It matters to him and it puts us in our proper place or perspective with him. So when we worship, it puts us instead of on the throne of our lives, we begin to put God on or as a reminder that he is the center of our lives if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondly, worship through songs connects our hearts with his. So it connects our hearts. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you begin to worship through song, it connects our hearts with his. And lastly, worship through song connects our hearts with one another. That's what we talked about last week. In fact, one of you guys uh, sent me a magazine article, which I thought was fascinating, you know, that illustrates this. It's actually from the Greater Good Mag Magazine, which is a scientific magazine that comes out of Berkeley, California. Here's what it says. There's little question that humans are wired for music. Researchers recently discovered that we have a dedicated part of our brain for processing music, supporting the theory that it has a special important function in our lives. Listening to music and singing together, according to several studies, directly impacts neurochemicals in the brain, many of which play a, play a role in closeness and connection with one another. Now, new research suggests that playing music or singing together may be particularly potent in bringing about social closeness through the release of endorphins. So when you sing together, whether you're going to concerts or whether you come before the Lord, there's something that happens that doesn't happen by yourself. It's great to be able to sing in your cars and sing in the shower and whatever it may be, but when you come together and you sing with other people, not only does it connect us with God when we're talking about worship, but it connects us with one another. I love it when science catches up to the Bible. Isn't that amazing? You know, when science actually reaffirms that the Bible's been teaching this entire time. Now, here's a passage of scripture that talks about some of the different ways that we worship God through Song. Now you might think, well, it's just singing. No, there's actually much more. Psalms 47 says, come everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise for the Lord most high is awesome. He's the great king over all the earth. God has ascended with a mighty shout. The Lord has ascended with trumpets blaring. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises for God is the king over all the earth. And I praise him with the psalm. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a fairly conservative church, fairly conservative church. So when it came to worshiping God, uh, we would be more known as um, the frozen chosen. You know, uh, there wasn't a lot of expression because our belief was God is holy and we need to have orderly worship and so stoic. You know, now, yes, we would sing. We would sing from our hymnals, you know, that we would have. And we would have, like Eric talked last week, the worship leader that would do this. And uh, we would, even if we couldn't read music, you, when the, when the, when the went up, you know, on the musical church, you would sing higher. When it went down, you would sing lower. And I don't know why, but you always sing the first, second, and fourth stanza of a hymnal. I don't know if the third one was wrong or bad, you know, but it was never the third one was never included. And so you'd sing those. And so it was a win if people moved their mouths, 
right? You sat there and you moved your mouths, you know, towards the chorus leader, and that was an absolute win. But as I grew up and I went to high school, I would go to camps. And at camps, they would teach me or challenge me to worship a little bit differently, a little bit more expressive. Uh, So one time they would say, why don't we all close our eyes and worship? I was like, well, that's new. Why is somebody going to hit me? You know, I'm just going to close my eyes and worship. Uh, And then they would say, you know, as the song says, raise your hands, why don't we raise our hands? I'm like, why are we doing this? And then they would, after a song, they'd be like, why don't we shout to God? Why don't we clap for him? And so I'd clap for him. We'd shout to God. Uh, And then every once in a while, they'd be like, why don't we kneel before him? I said, now you're getting a little crazy, you know, to to be able to kneel. And then last one is there'd be a super exciting, super passionate song. And they'd say, let's dance. And I was like, nope, that's where I draw the line. You know, I am not a dancer, you know. And so they would ask us to be able to do that. They were pushing us to get out of our comfort zone. But here's what I discovered. As I began to practice what was uncomfortable, it became comfortable And over the years, I have found that for me, the best way that I connect my heart with God is actually through singing. It's actually through worship, through song, in these expressive ways. Now, in his new book, Holy Roar, Christian artist and worship leader Chris Tomlin and his pastor Darren Whitehead wrote this book to shed some light on what it really means to praise God. They write this. In the ancient world, something extraordinary happened when God's people gathered to worship him. It was more than just singing. It was a declaration, a proclamation, a time to fully embrace and fully praise God for who he is and what he has done. In fact, he goes on to write that there are seven Hebrew words that are represented with our English word or translated into one called praise. See, you may not realize it, but the Bible was not written in the original King James. It was actually written Hebrew in the Old Testament and Aramaic, but mostly Greek in the New Testament. That's the original writing. And as you know, if you've ever studied language, is that some things are hard to translate from one language to another. Like, let me give an example in the New Testament. We have one word for love. So if you're trying to learn English, and I tell you, I love popcorn, and I love my wife. Does that mean I love popcorn as much as I love my wife? Sometimes. <laughs> you know, that, that may be true. You know, but context is king. So we have one word for love. Well, the Greeks, they had four. And so when we were the re-word, read the word love in the New Testament, it could have one of four meanings. One is could be a storge. Storge is the word for love, which is a family love, like a father to a child or a mother to a daughter. Uh, the second word is phileo. It's a brotherly kind of love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. The third is eros. It's a romantic. It's where we get the word erotic in our English language. It's a romantic kind of love. And the fourth is agape. It is the highest level. It's the unconditional love. It's the love that God has for us and he wants us to have for one another. All those four are loves, and we read the word love, and so it has deeper meaning when you get to understand the language and the original intent behind what is written. So there are seven, again, Hebrew words for praise that is translated just to that. We have seven words. So today we're going to nerd out a little bit. So we're going to look at all seven of the Hebrew words as it pertains to praising, and my hope for you as it has been for me, is it'll be eye-opening, it'll connect your brains, but it'll also challenge you to action because all seven of these words are found in the Psalms. And so when you read the word praise, you might not realize that it has much deeper meaning. 
Remember, at its core, worship is prayers to melody. So let's start with this. With all this in mind, let's start with the first one. The first one that we need to translate a praise is yada. So say yada. Okay, it's to extend hands, to throw out a hands. Literally, when someone would lift their hands in praise to the Lord. Now, this is a natural human instinct. Or you don't have to teach a child when they get excited to go, yeah, or woo, or when Tiger puts a putt, you know, he does this, you know, he does this, this, this kind of thing, He's this celebratory. You never see someone get super excited and go, it's, it's just not natural. We are wired to lift our hands in excitement over something or someone. In Psalm 67, verse 3, it says, may the nations Praise, yada you, oh God, yes, may the nations yada you, praise you. So God is asking the nations to praise him by lifting their hands before him. Now, I wonder if you've ever lifted your hands in the presence of the Lord. Now, I, I know, you know, that we don't do it because it feels awkward, weird. We've never done it before. But eventually something happens when you begin to do what is uncomfortable. It becomes comfortable because in other instances, when you were self-conscious, something caused you to lose that where you raised your hand in excitement, whether you were by yourself or whether you were with other people. Now, it does help when other people around us are raising our hands, when our worship leaders are excited and encouraging us to raise our hands. That way we don't feel like we're the only one standing out. Now, you might be thinking, Dan, I'm an accountant. I'm an engineer. I don't do that. Well, maybe today would be the first day in the presence of the Lord that you would join with what people have done for the last 3,000 years. In fact, when I was in the, the Philippines, uh, two things struck me uh, as we were there on a trip. We were with our Chinese pastor friends. And, and you would think, and there's a stereotypical kind of uh, stoicness about them, and they were very stoic, very serious you know, people. But when it came time to worship, when it came time for them to lead us in song, it was amazing how they transformed and how they would lift their hands unashamedly. And here's the crazy part is they have a church that's only 10 to 15 people because it's an underground house church movement. They're not able to gather in this kind of setting. So they were very comfortable with just a few people in the room being able to lift their hands to a holy God, to Yadah. Uh, and the second one is called halal. Say halal. 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 It's where we get the word hallelujah. You know, you might've heard that before. It's to boast, to rave, to celebrate to dance, and as my teenage son loves, to act foolishly, okay? To act foolishly. Psalms 143, 49 verse three says, praise, which is the word halal in this case, his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. Now the context of that phrase is 38,000 priests have gathered with singers and they're singing in such a way that they can't help but begin to dance, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have been talked into, encouraged, and you can help, but just start dancing. You know, don't believe me? Go to a Zumba class. You know, I've seen it happen, okay? So we know this happens in our society. In fact, how many of you have ever been to a Jewish or Indian wedding? Any of you guys ever been to a Jewish or Indian wedding? Okay, here's what's fascinating. You go to an Anglo wedding, and more, of the, more often than not, it's very difficult to get people onto the dance floor. 
not in Jewish or Indian weddings. I performed an Indian wedding several years ago, and uh, I was shocked to see that when it came time to dancing, they would put the bride and groom right in the center, and everybody was, it was a requirement to get on the dance floor and begin to dance for joy for what they had witnessed and what they had seen. So whether you were 95 years old or you were five years old, you just got out there and you just danced your heart out. So I'm sitting on the sideline, and they come over to me and they said, no, 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 Pastor, you are coming to dance. I'm like, I don't dance. They said, you are today. So I get out there and I'm just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and they grabbed over and they said, Dan, let's just make it really simple. All you need to do is screw in the light bulb. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, do this. So I, I'm like, oh, this makes sense now. So I could do that for a while. You know, I was like, okay. So that was the Indian way of dancing. That is not racist. They taught me how to do that and they told me how to do it right there just so you know, just so I don't get in trouble, okay? So dancing, it's a full body celebration. We get excited about that. This is what it says in Psalms 150, verse one. Praise, this is the word halal, praise the Lord. Praise halal again, God in his sanctuary. Praise halal him in his mighty heaven. Now as a person who grew up in a conservative church, whenever I saw someone dancing, I thought they were on something. You know, to be honest, I'm like, oh, those are those people. You know, they're the real high, charismatic, whoa, watch out for those people. That's what I was warned. You know, and, and yet, what a terrible, judgmental person I was to recognize that maybe that was their expression in worship to God, that it's okay to dance before him. But Dan, real men don't do that, right? Actually, David... A guy who was a mighty warrior, King David, who lopped off Goliath's head, walked around with this guy's dome for three days, man's man. This is what he said that he did in 2 Samuel 6, 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. This wasn't a little dance. He gave everything. The guy's in a suit and he's just going crazy. He doesn't care what people think because he's dancing before God with everything that he has. At the end of Psalms 150, it's the very last uh, chapter of the, of the book of Psalms. Uh, it says these words, these, these three little words, praise the Lord. But that word praise is changed to halal. Praise the Lord. Do it with dancing. Now, I fully recognize that this is way out of our comfort zone, but another way, you know, to sometimes recognize or be encouraged in our worship is to watch our worship leaders. You ever notice that they really are trying to get into it, you know, as they are trying to lead us, they're trying to model what we're doing. In fact, probably the person on our worship team that best exemplifies this, and if you don't believe me, you gotta watch today, is Brandon, Gindin, uh, Brandon uh, uh, Sparley, who plays, you know, our, our bass. Have anybody seen Brandon? He's absolutely amazing. I don't watch him too much because we're supposed to be focused on the Lord, but what a model, what an example. He doesn't have a microphone and he is just going after it. He just gets, he just can't help it because of his praise and excitement for God. What a good model and example for us. So for me, it's a lot of my comfort zone. So I kind of have my box, you know, so I'll just kind of do this. You know, I'll go back and forth a little bit. So it's just my way of just kind of encouraging that. I know you guys are kind of trapped. You know, you start dancing, it might become a mosh pit. So I get, you know, based on the size of our auditorium and trying to squeeze people in. Which leads us to the next one, which is Tahila. Say Tahila. Yep, this is the one you're going to remember more than any of the other ones from church. 
Tahila. I know that. You know, that's what you're going to remember. But this is what Tahila is. It's to sing or to praise hymns of praise. Literally, though, it means to sing a new song. See, the book of Psalms actually is a collection of Tehillim. Over and over, the book of Psalms challenges its people and its readers to sing a new song before the Lord, a new song. It's not that the old songs are bad or wrong. Eric talked about this this last week. He says, those songs that we sang in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s have great meaning for us because of where we were in life. There's nothing wrong with singing those, but God is imploring his people, I am not the God just of yesterday, I am the God also of today and tomorrow. I am doing a new work in you, and I'm doing a new work through you, and so sing praises to me as you see these things take place in your lives. Now, I do this naturally, or you might even call it unnaturally, with my kids, I make up songs, you know, and I sing, sing over them, you know, so we'll be driving. I'll be like, Angelie, you're so beautiful. I love you. God brought you to our lives. And so I sing stuff like that. And she just giggles and laughs. And I've done it to my boys and that kind of stuff. Any other dads in here weird like me, you know, that you just make up. So thank you. So I'm not, I just don't feel like the only one. So you, we do this spontaneously, right? And we're singing over the people we love and we're singing what we see and we're encouraging, you know, what we admire. How much more so with God? And so we're introducing new songs, introducing new, new, new lyrics and new ways to worship. We're encouraged to follow along because it says in Psalms 22, verse 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises Tehillah of Israel. See, God dwells in the praises of his, of his people. It's a special kind of praise. When we sing spontaneous songs, and maybe the way to say it is singing the story of God for our lives back to him that God indwells and inhabits the praises of his people. In fact, Tehillah is probably best illustrated in the New Testament. Uh, most of the time we don't mention Mary except for outside of Christmas season, but Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, goes and visits her aunt, Elizabeth. And when she sees her aunt, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon both of them and they spontaneously begin to sing to one another as they're singing to God. Now we read these words, but understand this is a song that she is singing to Elizabeth. Luke chapter one says this, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, Mary says, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. She's talking about the current, what he is doing. And she sings this to Elizabeth. Which leads us to number four, toda. Say toda. Toda is an extension of the hand. Thanksgiving, it's a confession, a sacrifice of praise, a choir of worshipers, expectant praise. Literally, it means thanksgiving and trust of God for things not yet received. See, some trust in chariots and horses, but we're supposed to trust in the Lord our God. In Psalms 56 verse 11 says, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can a mere mortal do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks or praise, which is todah, for your help. This one's a hard one, but it can be one of the most powerful ones. It's believing in what God has yet to do. It's trusting in him beyond the circumstance. It's worshiping him beyond our feelings. It's coming before him beyond our even own comfort. I don't know if you've ever been in a hospital room where people begin to sing a hymn or sing a song 
And you're like, that's the least likely place because God hasn't done anything yet. And yet something happens when we sing in that environment. Probably the time I, I remember feeling this or experiencing this the most here is after the day of the Freeman shooting. When Freeman shooting happened, we called people together. Anybody who wanted to come, you know, together. And we gave encouragement. We gave words of encouragement. But we sang songs. And we praised God. And here's what I can tell you. The mood when we came in was completely different than the mood when we left. And it was due to us choosing to praise God, choosing to say we trust you even though we can't see the good. We believe in you even though we can't understand. We still will praise you. We will toda. Now, now some of you have come here facing or fighting health situations. And you find yourself in difficult marriages or stressful finances or stress or anxiety or depression or there's a many, myriad of different things and it can be every reason to come in here and not praise God. But when you praise God to trust him for what he has not yet done, he begins to fill you and give you perspective and you get a chance to have your spirit lifted. That's the amazing part of Todah. So how about you today? Do you come in distracted by life, your marriage, job, needing reconciliation? Choose to worship God. Choose to tada. Which leads us now to number five. It's Zamar. Say Zamar. Zamar is to create music. It's to celebrate in song or music, specifically to touch the strings of a musical instrument. How many of you have ever played or been taught a musical instrument? Raise your hands. Okay, I played trumpet from fourth to sixth grade. Do you realize that God actually has given us this gift to play instruments that bring praise to him? Psalms 21 verse 13 says, Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise Zamar, your might. It's with this sound, with these instruments, based on our perspective and view of eternity. Uh, do you know what's uh, great about worship? Is sometimes at the end of the time we're speaking, you ever notice Sometimes somebody comes out and they start playing behind as we're kind of wrapping up. They play, you know, a guitar. You ever wonder, why, why are they doing that? It's because of Zomar. In fact, in the ancient world, there were times in which during the sermon, there would be music playing during the entire time that someone is speaking. To bring an enhancement to the words that were spoken, there was an underlying praise that was taking place by the gift of music. It's amazing to be able to see that God would use that. So that's Zamar. Let's go to number six, Barak. Say Barak. Barak is to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration, to salute. In Psalms chapter 34, verse one, it says, I will praise, I will Barak the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak of his praises. And that one is Tehillah. So you see how both are represented in that same verse. So here's the image of Barak. Is you're coming into the presence of a king. Now, many of us, we're Americans. You know, we don't bow, we don't kneel to no one because we're independent. But in most countries, there's a monarch system. Most countries, they have a king or a queen and as a sign of respect, you usually bow, not as a, as a form of worship, but just bow, you know, as a sign of respect for whoever that monarch is. Well, God is our king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so we come before him and we do bow. And in the sense of we're bowing, we're then also called to worship him. Here's the one difference when it comes to this, this image of Barak. When we bow, our eyes are supposed to remain on the king, which is interesting. You think that when you bow, you're supposed to get your eyes off. He says, no, keep your eyes on the king so that the distractions of everything else that's going on in your life begins to fade in the periphery or background because we're focused on the king. I mean, how often have we gone to lunch and asked, 
Hey, how was worship today? Shouldn't we begin to change? How was your worship today? How did you worship him? See, no one else can give God your affection. And just like Peter, when he gets out of the boat and he looks at Jesus and he's able to walk on water when he takes his eyes off, he notices everything else around. It puts things into perspective when we keep our eyes on the king. It's when we barak, which leads us to the last one, number seven, shabak. Say shabak. Means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. Psalms 117.1 says, praise the Lord, all you nations, praise him, shabak, all you people of the, of, the, of the earth. See, there's a song that begins to sing. Have you ever been part of a song? And then other people join in. And then it becomes an anthem. And then more people join in, and it becomes a holy roar. Now, many of us in our culture understand exactly what this looks like. If you've ever been to a sporting event, that kind of got exciting. You know, people began to cheer and they got louder and then something really exciting happened and they just roared. They roared with excitement. So let me remind you, you know, uh, the Seahawks were playing the Packers in the NFC Championship game. Okay, they were down. The game was over and there's this miraculous comeback that begins to happen that sends the game into overtime. Over 77,000 people are watching it go to overtime and then you see this roar, this anthem, this incredible shout that takes place. Don't believe me? Go ahead and watch the screens with me now. 35 yards longest play of the day for either side. Do you have any idea how many accountants and businessmen were in that, in that stadium? <laughs> Do you know how many introverted people you know, there were? Do you know how many people had no idea of the people sitting next to them or around them? And yet there was something beyond them that compelled them beyond their comfort zone, that compelled them beyond their experience to give a shout and to watch everybody praise together an event or circumstance. God has called us to do the same and that much more, to be able to shabak before the Lord, to shout, to get excited at times for who he is and what he's done. Probably nothing best exemplifies this more than on this Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, in Matthew 21, 9, Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and he was at the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. And they ripped down palm branches and they placed them before him. And the shout went out through all of Jerusalem. And if you keep reading, people in other parts of Jerusalem are like, what is that noise? What is happening over there? And they said, you haven't heard? Jesus has come into town because of this holy roar that's taken place. You see, there are seven distinct ways that in our English word is translated praise through song. Some involve posture, expressive ways to show God, unite with others in our love for him, but it really all comes down to a heart issue. Are we willing to go beyond our comfort zone? Are we willing to begin to engage in what's uncomfortable, not because 
It's for our benefit, but it's for him. It's not about us. Yes, the weird part is, is when we make make it about him, it then becomes about us. We actually get the blessing of receiving what he has for us. So your next step and my next step is to commit to becoming a worshiper of God through song. To put all the reasons and all the excuses behind us saying, well, that's not me and that's not how I'm wired. That's not how I'm created. That's not how, and be able to say, it's not about us. It's about him. One of those ways I want to encourage you is to show up to church early. A lot of us take our time. We kind of come in first, second, third song, and you're missing maybe one of the most important experiences that God wants to have from you and for you. And so we prepare our hearts as we come in. But today, we've intentionally waited to do our worship, obviously on the back end, to take a step. Maybe one of those things hit you today to say, you know what, I'm going to actually try one of those things. Because every time we gather, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has overcome sin, Satan, ourselves. Every time we come together, we celebrate the fact that Christ has risen and given us a new life in him. We can celebrate. So why don't you stand to your feet, if we could, for a second. As you read these things, none of these are suggestions from God. That was what was startling to me. None of them were excusable to be like, well, I'm not really wanting to do that. God says, do these things. And then to have them read in the way that we did today was absolutely astonishing to me. So we're gonna praise the Lord for the first time ever after hearing these seven words of praise. Are you ready? Let's try that again. Are you ready? Psalms 150 says this, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the heart. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with the loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Let's praise the Lord.